Hi, and welcome to the Irana Hills Church of Christ podcast. We hope this message from Pastor Clinton Montgomery brings you closer to knowing God, finding freedom in Him, and understanding what He has in store for you and your community. To learn more about Irana Hills Church of Christ, head to aranahills.church. We hope you enjoy this message. Can you believe it's almost the last term of 2020? Almost done. Who's ready to finish with 2020? Um, as if one calendar year could be so interesting. Um, we're in the middle of a series, or almost at the end, um, AJ will finish up next week, a series called Transformed. If you're with us uh, for the first time uh, today, we've been speaking on various topics over the last seven um, weeks where we wanted to think about uh, the way that the gospel and the life of Christ affects certain key areas of our life. We started with spiritual health, um, our physical health, uh, mental, emotional, financial health, um, and today we want to have a look at vocational health. What happens to our thinking when we engage the world that we, that we live in? Um, right through the series, we've thought about the words um, of Paul in uh, Romans 12 verse 2. And I want to ask you today if you could use your Bibles. We don't have a presentation. I've got to, I want to do something different to what I planned. But just think about Romans 12 verse 2, uh, the words that he said, don't be conformed to this world. I think it's so important to say that the easiest thing in the world to do is just to drift to comfort. I think everything is designed that way. One of the things that, that I still remember, who remembered the day before remote controls? That when you wanted to change a channel on the television, you said to your children, go and change the channel because you still didn't do it. Um, so would you press the second button or channel two and you only had one or two options on, on the telly? Remember those days? Frustrated me. Um, I still remember the time when my dad would just say, just check what's on the other channel. And I was the remote control. Uh, <laughs> But that's what happens, um, I think, in a conformed world. We sort of drift to comfort, and we'll find the easiest ways to, to find the, the, the most comfortable way to live. But Paul comes and he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to think how the life of Christ has affected your view on this world, on life, and who you are. And you've got to renew according to who Christ is then you will experience the transformation. And I love what he says then. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that. And next week, we'll spend some time on this so that. Um, that's all pressure on AJ to finish that part of, uh, um, of what happens. Today, I want to um, start the thoughts on vocational health. And, and I don't want to do the normal thing where I want to tell you that it's important to to, do, to live as good Christian citizens in your workplace and don't steal paper clips and, and think about that. I want to I do something different when it comes to your vocational health. I want to ask you to take your hand and just put it on, on you. Just for a moment, think about who you are. Think about the experiences, both good and bad, that have brought you to this place and this moment in time. Think of how some of those experiences have affected you both positively and negatively. And maybe just for a moment, think about um, if you are loaded positively or negatively based on these experiences. Do you think that, I'm in a bad place at the moment? Or do you have the sense that it's going well? I really love where I am. 
But I want to ask you to do something more. Think about the fact that because you're human, because we understand that God created us, think about the fact that God, through His Spirit, resides in you. Just for a moment, think about that. That this, this piece of flesh, this body, has become a temple. That this is something that God says, I indwell that. That this isn't just something that sort of lives and exists. This body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Because this is important, and you can take your hands off, off your chest, but I believe the most passionate, the most intimate, and the most significant element of, of the Christian faith is that God, the creator of the universe, the world's redeemer, has chosen not only to communicate with us, but he chose to indwell us. There's something about that reality where God says, when I look at you, I see you as a temple. I see you as something that I want to indwell. The same God that created everything, the heavens, the earth, wants to take up residence in you, not only once, but permanently. And I think this is one of the key things that we often reduce in Christianity, to just doctrinal truth. That, oh yes, um, God is in you, Christ is in you. But we forget the fact that the most loving, the most intimate, the most passionate person wants to reside himself in you. Augustine once said, we in our innermost being cannot find rest until we come to rest in God. And then he continues, he says, we cannot find rest until we rest in God's own resting in our hearts. God wants to find a place of rest in you. So one of the key things that we need to think about is that God indwells us through His Spirit. Just think about that for a moment. For some of you, this could be the first time that you're hearing this. Maybe you're sitting at home thinking about, what does this actually mean? But, but if you have your mobile phone with you, quickly, take, it's, for some of us it's easy, just hold up your mobile phone. That mobile phone was created to be um, connected to a tower and a network. So something in the network happens and we can communicate because that phone is receptive to what comes from the different networks that we are living with. Um, I think some of the technical guys could explain that in more detail, but that's the extent of my technical abilities uh, right there. I feel good about myself. I use the word technical three times. The reality is your body, you, we're created to be spirit receptive. That there's something in you that has a natural ability to receive God's spirit, to accommodate God in who you are. And it's this incredible reality in life that, that Christ is in us and we are in Christ. I think at certain times Paul speaks to Colossians. He says, um, I thank all the people in Colossians who are um, in Christ at Colossia. <laughs> So he actually identifies them in Christ and then says, oh yeah, and you're at Colossa. So there's something in this understanding that God made us spirit receptive. We are spirit beings. And it means um, that we need to consider just what it means to be open to God's spirit, not just on a Sunday morning, 9 a.m., because now we went and changed the service times to 8.30. Um, so it's dangerous because God normally met people in the building at 9 a.m., so being spirit receptive is a 24-7 reality. 
And there's something about this experience of worshiping God, of, of connecting and engaging God, that I think we've reduced to a Sunday morning experience so often. It's interesting when you look at the word worship in the Bible, there's four different terms that it uses interchangeably. That worship and work and ministry and services in the Hebrew, service in the Hebrew language is one word. So when you said, I went to worship, it could literally mean I went to work. There's something in that that they didn't live with this compartmentalized mindset where I'm something at home, I'm something at church, and I'm something at work, and sometimes these three environments never talk to one another. The reality is you are an integrated being, and when God looks at you, He thinks of work and worship and all those things being integrated. When um, Genesis speaks about the fact that God took um, the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work, that's the word, avoda, to tend the garden. It says um, uh, in um, Exodus 8 verse 1, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so that they may worship me. Again, the same word, avoda. So there's so many references that work and worship means exactly the same thing. So if work and worship is the same, guess what? I think it's important for us to understand that God doesn't just empower us for spiritual experiences in church services. He actually wants to empower us to do worship as work wherever we are. So think about this just for a moment. There's something so big inside of you. If you were created in the image and likeness of God, you need to grapple with the fact that there's something, someone so big inside of you that is constantly empowering, constantly strengthening you to do so much more than just um, do some activities to pay the bills at the end of the month. And that's what I want you to think about this morning. What if work was way more than just earning provision? How often have we said that, I, I just work for the money? Who said that in the last week? <laughs> I just do this for the money. See, we need to understand that even in Genesis, God gave Adam work before he gave Adam Eve. So work wasn't a part of uh, the, the curse. Work was actually part of Adam's redemptive calling, what he had to do. So we find purpose and we find work as part of an expression of who we are and what we are. The nature of work changed when sin entered the world, but the reality is Christ came to cancel the curse, and to bring us into a new dimension of blessing. So we need to retrain our minds that when we think of work, we don't think of work in the reference of curse and salvation in the reference of grace. Work is an extension of God's call over your life. It's what He created you for. And some of us work, we, we leave our homes, we go to work. Some of us work at home. We're mothers or fathers staying at home. I made the mistake once where came home after a long day of work. Melise was at home with um, Talita and Nicole. And I sort of made myself very comfortable because I went to work. And she had this nice, comfortable day at home with two babies, two kids. Um, and I saw, sort of assumed that I have the right to just relax and take a moment off. And she looked at me saying, so you think you worked and I did nothing? And I began my answer, well, yeah, uh, Slept outside that evening. Um, <laughs> never did it before. Uh, ne never did it again. Because the reality is, we find work in different expressions. Some of you 
work for a business. Some of you work for government. Some of you volunteer. You don't even get paid for it. And I think that's probably one of the most beautiful expressions of what we do. Because in our being, we were created to invest our lives in something meaningful. But I think there's a challenge if we enter the whole subject of work and vocational uh, health from a, almost a closed mindset paradigm, where we think we've got a grip on all of this, where if we do that, we don't realize the opportunities that actually come from that. I'm reading an, an interesting book at the moment called Mindset, and they speak about an open slash growth mindset and a closed or fixed mindset. And, and in that they say, if you have a fixed mindset in anything, so where, whether it be work or life or church, they say some of the things that happens is if you have a fixed mindset, your intelligence becomes static. So you think, I know it all. That there's no more thinking needed to be done. So your intelligence becomes static. You see challenges as something that needs to be avoided. You give up easily when there's obstacles. Um, you see effort as fruitless or even worse. And you don't like other people succeeding. Especially when they succeed in ways that doesn't fit your fixed mindset. But with an open mindset, there's something of uh, a growth mindset. They say that intelligence can literally be developed. That when you have this, in, this growth mindset thinking that I don't know it all and I don't have the claim on everything, there's something of a, hey, what sits out there that could still be discovered? You embrace challenge, you persist in the face of setbacks, you see effort as a path, pathway to mastery, you learn from criticism, and you find lessons and inspiration in the lives of other people. I got onto this because I had a chat with someone a few weeks ago, and in our conversation they looked at me and said, um, when it comes to the spirit, I know everything. And it sort of got me thinking, <laughs> the mere fact that someone would say something like that. <laughs> when it comes to the spirit, I've got it. Uh, and then went to tell me every fixed mindset analogy that you have of the spirit, where it brought me to a point thinking even in my own life, how often do we disconnect the spirit of God and our work experience in life? When was the last time you actually woke up saying, God, I want to thank you that you've empowered me by your spirit, that you've given me the capacity to do what I need to do today. How often do we wake up thinking about the challenges, the obstacles, the things that are sitting in front of us, and we get so stuck thinking that I don't know what to do in them, rather than to go say, God, I don't know, but I know you are able. And today I want to, I want to ask that you would empower me, that you would strengthen me, that you would give me the ability to do far more that is possible because I believe that you are in me. See, sometimes we reduce just the whole notion of work to not stealing paper clips and smiling when someone aggravates you. And I think all of those things are important. Smile and wave. Um, it's frustrating at times, but there's so much more. I think if we actually engage um, this conversation from the reference that God's Spirit is in us, and he actually is going to lead us to the challenges and to the frustrating parts of our work to bring creativity, to show people that there's a God that actually cares, not just about 9 to 10 on a Sunday morning, but every facet of our lives. That's critical. So I thought about this question. Am I open to everything that the Spirit is and everything that the Spirit wants to do in my life? Let me just ask that question again, and 
consider that in your own life. Are you open to everything that God's Spirit is and everything that God's Spirit wants to do in your life? When I thought about this, I wrote this little statement down for me, but I think it's actually applicable to every one of us. I think the real sticking point when it comes to our understanding of the Holy Spirit is that we're not open to the invasive, the transcending, and the transforming presence of God's Spirit. That invasive, um, literally meaning where God's Spirit moves into all areas of, of us. Sometimes He moves in such a way where it becomes difficult to stop. <laughs> Have you ever experienced that with God's Spirit? That He sort of starts doing something inside of you and and, and, and you just, you know that this is going to take me further than I've ever gone before. But the reality is we, we go for comfort because we don't like that. We don't like to be pushed beyond what is comfortable. The whole word transcending, God's Spirit actually taking us beyond our perceived limits. When was the last time that you actually felt that, listen, I'm trusting in life. I'm taking risks because I believe it's possible to go further than everything that's ever been done before. What would it look like if God's Spirit started creating in you and through you in your workplace where you are known as a person that brings solution to some, solutions to some of the biggest problems around? Or have we become the people that are experts at whining and defining problems and obstacles? And that doesn't make you anything. It just says that you know how to define an obstacle. But what if... We see obstacles in a way, saying in our workplace, in church, in life, wherever we are, thinking from the premise, something is possible in this moment. See, but we don't like this transforming, this transcending, this invasive um, experience because we, um, we don't want transcending power. We don't want to be pushed past our limits, and we don't want to change. We want the world to change, and we want others to change, but we won't, don't want to change ourselves. And that's been the nature of this whole series on transformed, where we actually need to consider transformation in our own lives, and what if that transformation actually spills through into every part of our life? Clark Pinnock, um, one of the writers that I'm reading at the moment, says, the Spirit works in a hundred thousand ways. Have you ever considered that? God's Spirit works in a hundred thousand ways, and it's not, it's not my responsibility to do anything but be open to the radical and sometimes surprising flow of the Spirit of God in our world. So just to close that conversation down, we're, we've been designed to be open to God's Spirit. And I think Jesus is the best example of someone who actually showed us what it looks like to be open to the Spirit of God. The question is, what do we learn from Christ? Um, Jesus being a real human being, meaning that he actually had to engage God's Spirit, he had to be open to God's Spirit in the same way that we were. And if that is true for Christ, could it be true for us? Was it possible for Jesus to do what he did without the power of God's Spirit? Now, something that struck me, and if you can turn your Bibles to this verse, I think it's a beautiful verse in Acts 10, verse 37 and 38, where Peter writes about it and he says, you know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee. Now, I love the reference because he actually um, sort of defines geographical spaces. He defines a region. He says, you know what happened in that region? If it happened in our time, it says, you know what happened in Arana Hills and in Morton Bay and all those areas? This is what Peter is saying. It's not saying, you know what happened in the church or in the synagogue. He says, you know what happened in that whole region? 
beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. He says, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed with the devil because God was with him. What does it say about Christ? That Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. So because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, what did he do? He went around doing good and healing everyone. And the conclusion that people made was that he had God with him. So again, imagine us waking up with that attitude in the morning, saying, God, I want to thank you that you've anointed me with your spirit and with your power. And I want to trust you that I will walk into this day. I will walk into my Monday to Saturday with this incredible conviction that you want to heal people, that you want me to do good. And today I want to say I'm an open vessel. Do whatever is necessary through me. Instead of looking at our workplaces as something that we need to posture for position, where sometimes we exemplify the character of the, of the world much more than we do of Christ. We don't serve. We want to be the people known for the position and the successes and all of that. Where if you know that you're work, walking into that space with a conviction that God sent me there, that we exemplify the life of Christ in those moments, it actually tells a lot bigger story. I think something that has often been overlooked is um, that every major event in the life of Christ was a spirit event. Just think about that for a moment. Every major event in the life of Christ was, was a spirit event. When Mary fell pregnant by, whom did she fell pregnant by? Said the Holy Spirit came upon her and she became pregnant. Now, we don't have the scientific details to actually define what actually happened there. I'm not going to try. Um, but this is sort of, of a message that we just leave for Christmas. Oh, Mary um, uh, fell pregnant because the Holy Spirit came upon her, and it sort of just fits the Christmas box. But just think about what it says, that God's Spirit came on Mary before she had any physical relations with a male at all. And what happened? She became pregnant. The outset from the life of Christ was a spirit event. Mary then goes to Elizabeth for some time. And what happens to John the Baptist in the womb of Elizabeth? That God's Spirit just releases something through Mary into Elizabeth that the baby in Elizabeth's womb just welled up and jumped up. Incredible. Uh-huh. And then one of the stories that really blesses me, um, because there's not a lot written from that to where Jesus' public ministry starts. But in Luke 3, verse 20, 21 and 22, Luke comes and gives us this explanation. He says, one day when the crowds were being baptized, and we've got a baptism service next week. If you haven't thought about that, my main definition around baptism is, firstly, if Jesus did it, I think it's a good idea that you should do it. Um, so that sort of takes it away from should I, shouldn't I. Secondly, if you read the scripture, it gives us an incredible indication of what actually happens when we get baptized. It says, one day when the crowds were baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And after he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. So before Jesus healed anyone, before he started teaching, before he did anything, what happened? 
It was this moment where Jesus got baptized, and the Bible says something descended on him in the form of a dove. It was God's spirit. And then a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son. You bring me great joy. I think so often, and, and maybe you're that kind of person, or maybe you know someone at work, how often do you deal with people at the workplace that needs validation from external sources? Where they actually do their work thinking that I need to do good in this and everyone needs to tell me how good I am, otherwise I feel wounded or I feel broken. Where did Jesus' validation come from? It came from the voice of the Father. After being baptized, Jesus had the first voice speak over him saying, you are my beloved son. And I think just at the outset of thinking about vocational health, think about this understanding that we're doing what we're doing because there's a voice from heaven that says, you are mine and I love you. That you are a dearly beloved son or daughter. The second thing that happens, it says that the Spirit of God ascended on Christ. So the voice of the Father then actually became an inner voice in Christ. Christ heard God's Spirit speak from the inside. Now this could be assumption, or if you just read further in Luke 4, it says that the Spirit, Jesus, full of the Spirit, went into the wilderness. That the Spirit actually started leading Jesus, showing Jesus what the next steps were to be. And I think one thing we know, when the Spirit leads us, He's not scared to take us through wilderness experiences to prepare us. Where I, um, <laughs> I chuckle at people who would come to me saying, I believe God tell, told me to um, sort of escape this wilderness experience, this difficult season, because He doesn't want me to go through anything challenging. So yeah, no, that's right. The reality is, I think God's Spirit takes us through seasons of preparation and seasons of formation in order, order for us to step into the big stuff that He's planned for us. And that was true of Christ. That the Spirit led Him, Jesus went in full of the Spirit into the wilderness, and then He came out in the power of the Spirit on the other end. But in the wilderness, He encountered something very interesting. So firstly, the voice of the Father, His own inner voice um, was in alignment. But then the enemy came. And the enemy started with one question. What did he say? If you are the Son of God. See, the attack on Christ was firstly to, to disrupt his sense of identity in order to disrupt his purpose. Can I say that again? The enemy's voice is there to disrupt your sense of identity in order to disrupt your purpose. Because there's something in this understanding where the moment the enemy came to Christ, Jesus had the option of either believing because he was hungry after 40 days not eating, saying, okay, well, I'll do the miracles in order to serve me. Or Jesus could fall back on the understanding that I've been created for way bigger things than this. Or I was born for way bigger things than this. So if Satan succeeded in disrupting Christ's sense of identity, the next part of Jesus' life wouldn't be possible. It's what we see in Luke 4, verse 18. Listen to what Jesus says, and that is all about our voice to the world, the contribution that we bring to the world, the things that we, that, we, um, that we release from an understanding of God's voice, our voice, and the pushback against the enemy's voice brings us to this point. Jesus, in Luke 4, verse 18 and 19, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
And he has anointed me to be hope for the poor, freedom for the brokenhearted, and new eyes for the blind. He anointed me to preach to prisoners, saying, you are set free. And I've come to share the message of Jubilee, for the time of God's acceptance has begun. That if Jesus fell in the wilderness, he didn't have the capacity to release this. And because he succeeded, we walk in the success of Christ's victory. So we can, in the same capacity and with the same conviction, stand saying, I believe God's Spirit is upon me. Because God's anointed us to walk into government, into business, into the arts, sport, into education, into whatever sphere of society there is, with a conviction that not just do we serve to, to, to show people what a good moral Christian life could look like, but we actually show people what it looks like to enter into that space from a conviction that God's Spirit is on us, to bring life, to bring healing, to bring the creativity that will transform not only my life, but the world that I live in. And I believe that's the example, and that's the definition of what a transformed vocation looks like. It's us entering our workplace, trusting that the transformation that we experienced in us through the spiritual, the mental, the emotional, the physical, the financial, the relational, that it would spill over into us being key, key agents in bringing transformation to the workplace that we're living in. Whether it be your home or a workplace or a place where you volunteer. Living from that understanding that God's Spirit has anointed me with power to do good and to bring healing wherever I am. It sort of changes the conversation completely. Because suddenly, in all of this, our workplace becomes a place of mission, not just a place of provision. That as I walk into it, I realize that I'm stepping. The moment I walk out of church, I walk into my mission field. We don't come to church to get God's Spirit. We come to church to be equipped, to be edified, to celebrate God's presence. But we realize as we walk out of this place, we bring God's presence to every sphere that we enter into. Imagine more of us live from that conviction. That we don't reduce God to a service, a Sunday morning gathering. We see this in the context of what it is. We actually walk into the place saying, God, what are you up to? And how can I partner with that? How can I do what you are already doing and be your hands and feet? How can I be an open vessel in every sphere, every place that you are leading me to, to release the full capacity of Christ wherever I go? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. But just think about this, John 3, when Jesus uh, spoke to Nicodemus, he said that there's a reality of being born from your mother's womb. That's important, and that defines us. But then he speaks about the fact that we need to be born from above. We need to be born of spirit. That there's something mystical that exists, exists outside of our frame of reference, but it's that something that sort of defines and gives us the, the passion, the energy, the drive, the creativity to do what God called us to do. And I think that's the something that, that we feel missing when we fall into this routine-based hamster wheel living, where we, we just wake up, we do, we eat, we watch TV, we sleep. But you were created 
way more than that. And in every season of life, in every experience of life, I think it's possible to actually say, God, I want to be open to your spirit. I don't want to fall in this fixed mindset thinking. I don't want to be closed to what you're doing. I want to be open to that. So I want to ask you just for the next 30 seconds, just to think about what that looks like in your own life. Are you known as someone who's open to God's spirit? Or would people see you as closed? Just think about that for a moment. Are you open or are you closed? 30 seconds before we move on. I want to ask you if you feel that you want to just make a statement this morning for yourself, not for anyone else, for yourself, saying, God, I want to be open to your spirit in my life. I want to, I want to move past, past the limitations and past the little obstacles that I've so, sort of fell into. And I just want to exemplify the kind of life that shows people and that shows me that I'm open to your spirit. If you want to be included in a prayer, don't you want to just stand with me? I just want to pray for you. Just say, God, I want to be open. I don't want to be closed. I want to show, I want to be open to everything that you're doing in my life. See, I believe that we need God's Spirit to lift us out of our human restrictions, to carry us beyond our human limitations, and to enable us to do what we and others think is impossible in the world that we're living in right now. If you're standing, I want to pray over your life. I want to include me in that prayer because I think it's something that God is stirring in us to say in this season of life, in this uncertain experience called 2020, I need more people that are open to what I'm doing in this world. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I know that we've been born of the Spirit, that we've been sealed with your Spirit, and that we are indwelt by your Holy Spirit. I want to thank you, Lord, for people standing this morning saying that they have a desire, Lord, to be more open to who you are, who your Spirit is, and what you want to do in their life. And that's why I'm asking today, Lord, that you would infuse us and fill us anew with your Spirit. We believe, Lord, that you are the most big-hearted and open-handed Father imaginable, Lord. You won't give us snakes and scorpions and stone if we ask for bread, Lord. You will give us your Spirit if we ask for that. So, Father, no doubting your promise one bit, and without shame or hesitation, we acknowledge our need and we ask for a fresh stirring, a fresh filling, a renewing of your Spirit in us, in Jesus' name. We know, Lord, that apart from your Spirit, we can't even believe the gospel and we can't love Jesus and people the way we want to. So, Father, by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, I want to pray, Lord, that you would free us from underbelieving and overcompensating lives, that you would open the eyes of our heart to see more of Jesus and to be more open to the growth your Spirit wants to impart in all areas of our life, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would grant us the power with all your children, Lord, to know the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of Jesus' love. Lord, a love that surpasses knowledge, the only love that is better than life, a love, Lord, that is more than enough. And we thank you, Lord, that you've poured this love into our hearts through your Spirit. And Lord, that you will do it again and again 
and again. Lord, we pray that the love of Christ and the empowering presence of the Spirit would be the most compelling and the most propelling force in our life, Lord. That you would turn our whining to worship, our timidity into fearless acts of faith, Lord, our small dreams into a kingdom vision, Lord, and our hesitation into risk, a life of gospel adventures, Lord. So, Father, we come by the grave-robbing, kingdom-advancing, Christ-exalting power of your Spirit. We pray, Lord, that you would restore to us the joy of your incomparable salvation, Lord. Renew our, our love and our heart for the beauty and the freedom of holiness, Lord. Intensify our awareness and the excitement about the, the kingdom of heaven, Lord. Lord, we, wanna, we just want to affirm today that we believe that you are working in all things for your glory and for your good. And Lord, we believe that you are working all things together after the counsel of your will. And Lord, that you are summing everything up in Christ and that we are a part of that. Going into the world and bringing everything closer and back to the Lordship of Christ. Not to a Christian mandate, but to a, a kingdom mandate, Lord. We want to thank you, Lord, that we can live with this conviction that our part, our work, our influence plays a part in your overall picture. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you were encouraged by the message and would like to hear more sermons like this, make sure you hit subscribe. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. To experience other messages, videos, and live services, head to oranahills.church and navigate to the resources tab. Thanks for listening.